cracking lovely people it's the big feed up hq podcast season two episode two it's so good to be back if you're a new listener to the show get on over to season one i've got 44 episodes there you can binge your way through our conversations with people around productivity performance there's obviously a nutrition angle season two i'm going to again take a deep dive into some performance nutrition with guests on a monday on a friday i might explore a few things around a solo pod little kind of snapshot into what i've been doing during the week but anyway i've got a fantastic performance nutritionist sports nutritionist on the show called will girling and i'm sh- i'm so looking forward to getting into things with him around all things on uh, fuel function so uh, mate what did you have for breakfast what did i have for breakfast <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I think i had um i just had porridge with um uh, protein and a coffee great just I thought I'd get into there straight straight away and like get get some tools <laughs> yeah, and tactics. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, well done. <laughs> but it's all good. But go on, mate. No, so it's good to be here. Um, thank you for having me. Cool, cool. But yeah, mate, I think we um we you know we 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 jump straight in and it would be good to to tell the listeners what you do, and um, yeah, obviously with this longer form of a conversation, it's not like a quick interview on tv or something like that you can obviously explore the why as well so yeah let's let's start with what you do and then and then kind of circle back and we can find out why you do it completely yeah so as you mentioned i'm a sports nutritionist i've been lucky enough to work with people up to the world stage in uh world number one age group um, in ironman i've worked with the paralympic team gb paralympics in track cycling invictus games for paralympic cyclists there um, and then also in like the world of boxing with uh, Derek Chisora I've worked with um, and professional cycling with Trek Drops and One Pro Cycling. So I've been fortunate to work with a huge array of athletes, um, but not just the top level, also everyday people and understanding um, everyday people, their life and obviously how they combine training with their business at the same time. Mm. And then how did you kind of um, get into doing what you're doing? Were you, were you always into exercising and performing yourself we we always quite foodie how, how do you start to marry that together yeah um i think by, like a lot of people that probably end up in the fitness industry actually um i was quite a, an obese child and then got into the gym uh, eventually found that i wanted a career in in fitness became a pt and within being a pt i realized what i was most interested in and what people seemed to most struggle with was actually the stuff outside of that session you did with them it was that nutrition uh, managing the rest of their week outside of the training session so started to do some independent courses I did a postgraduate diploma from uh, international sports society nutrition uh, myself and uh, then i did my master's degree and did research in ultra endurance cycling specifically mm. uh, and then from there just sort of started working with more professional athletes mm-hmm. and what does it take i think because we'll definitely explore some of the further study and things that you're doing at the moment. But for people listening, you know, what what does it take to do like a master's degree? Obviously, you've got a bit more of a of an understanding of how to read research. People are, have now got more access than they ever had to to literature. People are going on to Google Scholar, that kind of thing. People want to know, you know, the how. So, um, you know, yeah. what does that what does that teach you? And and, and you know, how how are you kind of credible and Obviously, if people are going to going to pay for your services, you know, you you spend your time reading, researching, making informed decisions. That's obviously essential. Yeah, completely. Um, the master's degree was actually really good and interesting in the sense that it breaks down how to be a research scientist, how to apply science 
and do it yourself. So um, learning how to read what's good papers and studies, uh, differentiate them between the, the good and the bad, you know, where a lot of people can obviously just go out and read a study, say it, you know, think that's the information it is, but it could have been a terrible study. Um, so breaking that down, but then learning everything in every stage that leads up to making your own research. So mine happened to be in ultra-endurance cycling with um, elite cyclists, and I looked at the difference between dosage and frequency in uh, carbohydrate during that. And you know the research I did into that, you know, I had to read through thousands of papers um, to create a literature review, find a gap in the market as to why we should do this. Mm. I proposed my research to the ethics board um, to show what I'm planning to do and have them accept it and say that's credible. And then obviously perform the research and get that to then eventually go to peer review, which I'm going to be doing as well and hopefully published. Mm. Um, interesting. Um, and I think the, the foundations that gives you is understanding the body and the biochemistry and the physiology that happens in response to the food. So it's easy enough for people to say, okay, if you eat protein, it means that you're going to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. But what does that actually break down to? How, what, what are the, the biochemical reactions that happen to that? And why is that beneficial and so on? And I think that's probably the more in-depth side that someone who has actually gone through the research and study would know over someone that just reads it. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you can package that up and, 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 and practically apply it with with individuals. So I think if we obviously go into that, mate, around fuel for function and let's just take cycling because obviously you've got so much in-depth experience around it with the people you work with. For someone listening to this that, you know, they're a weekend warrior, they, they prioritise cycling they enjoy it where where do you start with someone around this fuel for function mentality and obviously we don't have to go into everything you do coaching wise because you know it's important yeah. that people if they want to reach out we can leave information in the bio that sort of things but where do you usually start and, and where can you kind of signpost things for people yeah i think um the foundation of any any approach in coaching or nutrition is looking at the different aspects of the goal. So what is your goal? Is it body composition related? Is it performance related? Usually it's a combination of both. They'll probably want to drop some body fat, especially within you know endurance sport. And then they'll probably have an event or a sporty or an activity they want to do. It could be London Marathon. It could be Ride London, which is a 100-mile race. It could be even going to... Um, you know, attack the tour um, to do a big sportive, you know, stage of Tour de France, um, which is obviously a really big day out. And when you know those goals, you can help periodize their nutrition in this, you know, um, fueling for performance or function and look at how we should structure our week nutritionally and how we should, where we should have more calories, where we can have less. How does that alter the macronutrient breakdown? of those calories and then that also then relates to performance nutrition okay so what can i have specifically before the session after the session during um to make sure that you are fueling appropriately for that activity and also training yourself not only from a an aerobic activity point of view but also training yourself from a nutritional point of view to be ready for the event day Mm. essentially Mm. and then i think it's important to let to let listeners know if you're starting to work with someone, obviously someone that takes performance and things quite seriously, you know, say summer 2019, they obviously start October, November 2018, don't they? So the differences between 
the intensity, the duration of training, that, that side of the year, to then obviously as we're now, well, I suppose in the next few months, it's getting into that kind of business end of, okay, you know, volume is going to be up, duration is going to be up, all those things are going to be kind of firing on all cylinders, but it's that, it's that kind of, uh, yeah, installing principles at certain times of the end, like you said, actually, we can step back and drop some body fat first, that's a different way of eating, to then, okay, you're doing so many training sessions, we want you to get X out of it, that's obviously another way of eating, so how do you kind of, do you, do you, do you break down things in the year with a client, if they come to you, you know, six to eight months before an event, or, or a kind of, uh, a, you know, in season? Yeah, definitely, um, you know, so I had a lot of people come to me pre-season, um, you know, for here it's just a foundation of building an aerobic base uh, for this next season and that's a great time where there's not too much intensity you can really focus on dropping that body fat getting them ready for when the season starts or when the, you know, the cycling season whether that's actually competitive wise to whether that's just it's nicer weather yeah. and you know so um, you, you start there you get them in shape and then obviously the program and how they train will change as you say volume will go up intensity will typically go up as well if they're racing because they start to build that top end work um, and then obviously how you feel for that will change mm. um, you know, the duration of the sessions might go down for more intensity um, which will change substrate usage so how should they fuel for that session you know obviously the higher intensity is the more glucose and glycogen it's going to use over maybe a more fat glucose um, kind of end um, so, so that's, that's pretty important um, to, to periodize not only I guess a weekly sense in how they're training over their week but then also how you're focusing up to that complete goal you know that goal in summer that they're going to do this event um, how can we get you there in the best condition possible mm. um, and typically 8 to 12 weeks before the event I'll get them practicing race day uh, nutrition so that'll be carb load a meal before um, you know, supplementation around that if they need it, so like caffeine, mm. Um, mm. and then how much they should be fueling per hour on the activity they're doing if mm. they need to. Mm. I think that's something good to dive into. So obviously, when people start to exercise for longer, if they're race or like you said, they just want to be out in the sun for longer in the summer, and they're and they're, and they're starting to build that that um, yeah that aerobic base. When 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 do you or how do you start to coach people to? to start to ingest you know liquids semi-solids solids and and the differences between okay if, if someone's going out for an hour on the bike compared to or running compared to three or four hours how do you how do you wrap that up in, in a practical sense because people can buy these these books and see 30 60 grams that kind of thing per hour but it's uh yeah the gut is interesting is it and everyone's individual so it's kind of having to give yourself enough time to practice these things but if you yeah, have you greased the groove and started to work out a few things that, that you've seen over time and that you think work well for people? Yeah, definitely. So when, when you're looking at shorter sessions, obviously it's more about a focus before the session. If it's aerobic base, if it's easy and it's under an hour, then I'll probably say you probably don't need to have carbohydrate or a specific performance-based meal before that. You'll be able to get through it. Mm. Um, as you probably know, we've seen uh, some interesting research to suggest that low glycogen state training increases um, your ability to create new mitochondria or you know the aerobic cell so you get a better response from that exercise um, but then if it's more intense you need to be able to maintain blood glucose levels and having some form of carbohydrate beforehand would be beneficial even if it's an hour 
Um, but then as it comes into like the more three to four hour sessions, it, it's looking at essentially what's the key session, what is a, what relates to our training specific goal. So if it's just a three to four hour session and it's just for aerobic base, then just fueling enough to get through the session to make sure you can do it um, appropriately is probably what I'd suggest. That is you know, going to be between 20 and 60 grams of carbohydrate an hour on that session. Um, and then if it's a key race day practice one, then I'd look at, I think this is where you kind of mentioned about, you know, that, that groove, um, is all right, what event are we doing? What does that event, who is sponsoring that event as well, is a good one. Because if you look at Ironman, Ironman's predominantly sponsored by High Five, which means that every feed station they go past, there's going to be a High Five sponsored station. So if they're wanting to pick up any um, sports energy supplement, it's going to be High Five. So mm. they should start doing sessions, practicing with that product that's sponsored by that event. Because um, so many people have for some reason an issue with certain products even though they could be near enough identical some people have that product and go oh you know what i just don't agree with it um and if that's the case with you know that that sponsor you can either try using it again and see if you get used to it or if you can't then you're gonna have to think of a way to get around that and probably the the case is gonna have to carry everything on yourself so now how can, can you do that more efficiently and not add like a backpack to you mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think you you get more experienced, especially as an individual, as I've started to do some more of these longer distance runs and things. Yeah, you, you realise what you can carry and, you know, weight and um, just being able to dispense something when you're tired. You could have the, you know, the most fancy, um, you know, fantastic product. But then again, if it's not easy to open or if it or if it leaks or um, whatever, I think, yeah, people can resonate with that. You have a plan first few hours in. And then, you know, whatever happens, you kind of, your mind is a bit like, oh gosh, and if you're reaching over for something, it needs to be, yeah, it needs to be easy access. And, and yeah, you need to be used to consuming it as well, because often it's just grab in, carry on, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's something I've experienced working in the pro, um, pro peloton really, like with one pro and things like this, is that you've got science and science says this, and this is optimal, but then how does that relate to practicality? Like, you know, we say how much we'd like to feed every so often, but then if, if I got guys on like a four day stage race and every day they're having the same supplements, they get really tired of them, mm. they're not wanting to eat them anymore. So it's about, okay, what can we use to spice it up, make it taste better, provide the same energy? Um, you know, how many feed zones are there in this race? Or oh, maybe there aren't any. Okay, so suddenly now we need to think about them carrying enough food on them to be able to get through the whole race. Mm. Um, you know, in an ideal world, you'd be able to just say, oh, you know, everything's on them, they got all they need, and it's not going to affect their weight, uh, power-to-weight ratio. But, you know, if you're carrying two bottles that are full at 750 mil, and now you've added a kilo and a half to them, mm. you've got several bars and things. And, and in that, that stage, at that level of race, it does make a difference. Mm. Mm. Um, so, I mean, when you look at people like Team Sky, they have um, a huge team of swan inners and they will get them to drive out along the race and do extra feed zones. Mm. You know, they'll have people out there so the rider can hold as minimal as possible and get stocked up very regularly. Uh, and, you know, if you've got a budget that allows you to do that, mm. then that's great. Mm. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's the dream, isn't it? And what, what's your take on, 
say people that are starting to, to exercise for more, for more than that hour and 20, they know they've got to start to fuel and things like that. Um, in your experience, obviously you have protocols in place with some of your pro guys, but some of the amateur individuals, people listen to this that are exercising and wanting to, to, to feed on the go, is it waiting yeah. until they're hungry? Is it getting getting the digestive system going? Say if I know I'm going to be doing three hours, 30 minutes in, I'm, I'm, I'm not hungry, I'm not, I have, my energy levels haven't dipped. Is it important to... To, to get something into the system little and often or you know some people can take a bolus dose i know this i've seen i've ran trail races before where i've seen lads you know running quicker than me eating a burrito but that's very few and far between you know you've got the odd absolute mute but um yeah. how, you know how people ask me that all the time it's good because you spend so much time working with people in this environment how, how do you find that yeah yeah so um I think for people that are going out for a three to four hour ride, they do want to be feeding probably from about 45 minutes to an hour in because you don't want to wait until, you know, an hour, hour and a half because you're going to start running empty and you'd rather maintain those blood glucose levels consistently rather than get empty and then try and bring them back up. Because once, once we find that you've bonked, you know, um, it's, it's a lot harder to try and get that level of performance back than it is just to maintain it and preempt it. Mm. So I'd say that. I'd also say you don't need to buy sports uh, supplement brands or products. You can do it from normal natural food sources. Mm. You can do it from things like saurine, um, jam sandwiches. Yes. You can do it from sugary-based items. Um, you know, these provide rapid absorption of, of carbohydrate, just like these performance products do. Difference is you can buy a pack of saurine for a pound, mm. and it'll last you a whole ride, or you can spend two pound on one bar or gel. You know, mm. which is not something you definitely need, mm. um, especially for general training rides. Um, but um, I think um, you, you mentioned about um, how that relates to what other people. Um, Oh, people having like huge boluses, like burritos and things like this, right? Yeah, well, some um, people I think they get, you know, they realise they need to eat and it's not quite in their minds and they're trying things and then obviously they they complain that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not good at moving and eating on the go and then you find out that it is because they've left it to an hour, hour and 20 and then they've jammed in, a, you know, a lot yeah. rather than that, rather than some people may work better at, at little and often and then as they wash down the food if they're taking it on the go they're also you know meeting liquid requirements so it's it is useful isn't it to do that yeah um so yeah, that's, that's actually what my research was on so my research was on a single bolus or a large intake of carbohydrate compared to smaller more frequent intakes but to the same total amount mm. and we actually found that within the experimental protocol that i did performance wasn't actually too different but that could have been a case of how I laid out the uh, the protocol. But what we did see was a reduced heart rate and rate of perceived exertion mm. in frequency compared to bolus. So that would suggest that if they've got a lower heart rate, energy substrate usage will be slightly different. And if they've got a lower rate of perceived exertion, that they're obviously going to feel better. And if they're feeling better, they would naturally be able to go harder. So taking that into account, I'd probably say frequency and eating little and often better than getting one big hit every so often. Mm, mm, mm. And how do you find the difference between obviously people that are on the bike and it's the majority of the work's lower body compared to people that are doing some of these longer form running races? 
have have you looked into research ar- ar- around that because obviously people might be doing both modalities at the same time people might flip between them cycle race running race and then often you know that there, there are different requirements in there and i think it's it's definitely small variable benefits but having someone like you on with a head in the research maybe explains people the, the differences in there which are, it's often overlooked that isn't it you know seat, seated compared to, to to running and climbing and and, and that kind of thing yeah um with running in particular um, you find that incidence of stomach issues is higher. Um, this is because of the, the kind of mode of activity it is, but also you have a lot more rotation going through your torso. The amount of muscles being used are a lot greater, um, so there's less blood going to the stomach. So um, it's been actually uh, seen that liquid-based carbohydrate is more beneficial in running. Um, it seems to have better um, reaction to their stomach. People feel less sick on it. Um, and it's you know a bit easier I guess in a sense, but it does depend on how long you're racing for. Um, are they racing? You know, ultra endurance might be quite hard to do the whole thing on liquid. They might want something to fill them up a little bit, feel mm. like they're, they're actually having some food rather than gels and liquid all the time. Mm. Uh, but uh, also then can change certain variables like what kind of solid food is it? Is it going to affect digestion rate? Um, and make sure it is still optimal for what you're doing. Mm. I mean, you've got a, you know, you've got an absolute glossary of of good recipes and foods and things. And I assume, you know, you're someone that, if you're posting these things, you're definitely using them with with your clients and and things as well. If 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 anyone's going to dive on over to your site and and can you kind of earmark a couple a couple of things that that are quite popular at things that you quite like. I know that I'm actually going to give you a banana bread a go tomorrow. I'll look that one up. That looks mega. Oh, Is nice. there? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah um, like what have I you? Recommend that one on on rides. Like, yeah. Uh, things like that. Um, there's also uh, an energy flapjack that I make that I actually made for One Pro, or developed it for them, and that's a, you know, it's a two-to-one ratio of glucose and fructose. So you're using multi-transportable carbohydrates. It includes um, a bit of orange juice and zest in it to improve saliva production within the mouth to help fend off against upper respiratory tract infections because saliva has something in it called IgA, mm. which helps protect against that. Um, you know, bacteria going in the mouth, especially in endurance sport, there's a lot of breathing outside, in particular in winter, um, helps protect against those kind of colds. Um, and it's, and that is just going to make it a little bit more tasty. It's also got some salt in it for electrolyte and so on. So you've got all that kind of different carbohydrate sources. It's low in fat and protein, and it's going to help with slow production and stop dry mouth, mm. um, which is everything you really need. And it's going to be a very cheap way to get lots of different bars and to, to your training mm, mm. yeah definitely yeah, i agree and people that are listening to this are a bit you know more nerdy and, and they do want to try these these kind of things and 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 you know get i suppose potentially performance edges but then just to defeat palate fatigue that it, you know it sounds it sounds a bit silly but that little micro plane grater or whatever it comes in so handy because like you said i do yeah. lemon zest or orange zest on the porridge little bit of sea salt little you know not always a lot of cinnamon but things like that it does it does make a difference and people listening to this will know that when they're pulling something out x amount of hours yeah. down the line it's huge for morale you just get a different kind of flavor and taste and um yeah i don't know if that i know it's spoken about a lot in 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 our sphere as practitioners and things and we look at how people might um you know their immune systems are very challenged even though they're very fit but i don't think people necessarily plan for okay 
what what other kind of forms of nutrition can I get in to, to, to keep everything working? It's always obviously where my carbohydrates, proteins, fats, but then the rest of that kind of micronutrition and some of those other um you know, some of those other flavor bombs and things like that, they, they do go a long way to, to, to kind of help everything else, you know, work work properly when people are starting to train and race a little bit more. So I think that that's a, that's a great nugget. And um, yeah, flapjacks are, they're, I mean, there's so many recipes and, and, and a lot of them are quite simple. And I think it's it's just something where it's good to have to have you post that kind of stuff as a, as a bit of a hub. And I know you probably use those things as well. So it's, uh, yeah, there's 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 quite a lot. You've got different sections, haven't you? There's um, I think there's some there's some there's some words on caffeine. There's some words on what what was I reading earlier um before we started the show. Uh, you talked a little bit about uh gut health and things like that too. What what other things have you taken the time to kind of to kind of give out? Because it's it's interesting, you know, pushing this kind of information, free information. You're someone that obviously puts a lot of time into into reading studies and things like that and and those resources now i think people are a bit like well there's so much out there but it, it's good that you that you funnel things in a certain direction of performance is that what your 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 company you as a practitioner are, are kind of obviously very focused on and, and you can break that down into different sections in your blog yeah definitely it, it, it is more about um performance orientated individual um it's about people who have goals um sporting goals and want to get better at those um, from a you know a nutritional point of view um, but I've written about you know caffeine and then different functional foods foods that provide you with a performance enhancement so things like tart cherry juice things like beetroot juice um, the effectiveness of milk for recovery um, different aspects like this and how normal foods or things like this can give you maybe a bit more of an edge um, to your performance and training. I wouldn't say that those things are essentials. Um, I think getting a foundation of, of nutrition is better, and I think you as a practitioner also know this as well. You know, health and overall well-being will still improve performance way above someone who's not eating ad- adequately but then takes a performance-enhancing amount of caffeine. Mm. You know? um, but if you get all those other bits right and then you add on those supplements uh, supplements on top that you know they have been shown to improve performance or recovery and you'll get that extra push mm. and for a, for a few kind of um tools and tactics for people listening if they're t- starting to take things more seriously and they're wanting to track certain things in terms of food uh, training and performance what can you signpost for people to start to look into and or what do you yeah what, what do you what do you measure obviously the the bonus of coaching someone one-on-one you you mentor them and that and that beyond anything is incredible because obviously we know that's such a powerful thing when someone knows that they're being looked after you're working with someone you're caring about them it's 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 fantastic all round but what what how do you keep clients not necessarily accountable but what what do you look at in terms of some of the data and and what can people go away and start to track as well can be anything training food yeah yeah Uh, it's a great question actually so if people are doing it themselves and they want to start taking more of an interest in it themselves before maybe they hire a professional Mm. what i suggest is look at your training program and then record how each session feels um and then Relate that to also your probably your other goal, which might be body composition. So if you're if you're weighing yourself, you've got a regular um, uh, you know a weight that you're 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 at, and then you've got your activity, and then if you track all your food and you do this for a month, 
then you can see how each session felt, how your weight relates to the amount of calories you're having, and how you're performing. And that way, you're able to make a bit more of an informed decision about what you should do. Mm. If you want to drop body fat, then you need to, you should be dropping your weight essentially. So if your weight's going down, but then your performance is also dropping, then there's obviously something going on. Maybe your calorie deficit is too great. Maybe you're not having enough protein to, to enable recovery, and maybe in relation to how those sessions felt, how did you fuel around those sessions? And keeping track of all these variables and consistently doing it over a month gives you a really good picture and idea about what's going on. You know, if your weight's staying stable, you're not in a deficit, obviously. Mm. Where can you take that deficit from? I'd probably take it from your rest days and your easier training days. Mm. Um, and where do you want to keep calories? Probably for key big sessions, maybe like you know, your weekend Saturday ride, which some people do, you know, anything between three, five hours. Mm. Uh, it's not as simple as okay, I need to be in a deficit, I'll eat, you know, what my fitness pal says, which is should be like 2,000 calories a day. Because some days you might do nothing, and other days you might do a five-hour ride. Mm. 2,000 calories is not going to be the same that you want for both of those days. And then that's where it, this comes back to that kind of periodized nutrition, applying the right amount of food and calories to have, given on what you're doing. I think if we take a little bit of a tangent, it's great to get an insight into how you coach people and, and you're giving out some, you know, really decent nutrition, nutritional nuggets. But I think it's also interesting to let people know about, um, yeah, what you're training for. So it's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a world record attempt. It's, it's something that is, um, yeah, it's always interesting to speak to people about how they set these challenges. And obviously over time you've got, you've got fitter, you're around people that are performing at a very high level, um, yeah, is this is this something you've always wanted to do, or do you think you've been pushed by the people around you to 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 really give something like this, uh, you know, a go? How how's that manifested, and, and what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting one. So it kind of did uh, was brought about by the people I was surrounded by. So I originally competed in strongman, and I, I you know, did powerlifting, and that that was the kind of sport. I focused on, but then from a nutritional point of view, I very much enjoy endurance. It's a lot more interesting. There's a lot more variables to think about. And as I worked in a pro environment with a team, I started riding my bike more uh, and realized that even within a sport, and even being a very active, athletic, and you know, reasonably lean person, because I was still like 105 kilos and riding a bike, a lot of people said, oh, you're too big to ride. And I was like, oh, this is just absurd. Yeah. You know, like, I'm, I'm still, you know, an athlete, I'm just a big one. Mm. Um, but cycling is very much one of about weight and about size. And it, it made me want to do something to say, you know, even if I am opposite to what you, the stereotype says, you can still do something. And, and that's something I've experienced working with Paralympic athletes, people that might, you know, say, oh, you're not able to do that because you're disabled. And I don't think anyone should be put off by doing anything, whatever it is, whether it's um, gender, age, uh, disability, ability, etc. Um, you should do so. I guess I set out to be someone who doesn't cycle, or doesn't have a history of cycling, mm. um, to break a world record of like riding the length of Europe, and um, you know that's that's what I, I plan to do, and, and that's what I'm training for. Mm-hmm. And are you um, are you, are you going to kind of uh, not record, but how how can people keep in touch with that? Is that something that you're going to 
I suppose talk about write about post about after the event and um, yeah is that something people can follow how's how's it all going to work mate yeah yeah so uh, I will be documenting it on my social media which is Will Girling um, on Instagram and then I, I, I'm lucky enough to have actually um, a film crew coming along with me and they're going to document the actual event itself cool um, to, to put out afterwards um, which, will, which will be good because I think it is important that we do challenge stereotypes that we do open up more people to to being able to do different types of activity mm-hmm. no I, mean, I think that's fantastic so you um are you 105 kilos now or what's and or are you um what are you planning to be when you do that because that's definitely like flying the flag for the yeah the larger uh, wouldn't necessarily have to say stronger but it's mate it's cool it's it's, it's definitely good and it it's uh yeah it's inspiring because i think um you know i suppose on a more minor level i, I did a few running races in the summer and i definitely line up um oh, i'm almost 90 kilos and you get on the start line and everyone's kind of like not tiny but you know that they're 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 bean poles very lean individuals and you think like right yeah i could probably not have 20 kilos here but i don't want to be 70 kilos or or less i'd I'd, I'd, it would be terrible so it's cool to kind of yeah to to see that you're doing that what ideally if you were going to get on the bike and start it tomorrow what 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 kind of shape do you want to be in for it um so i was gonna get down to about 94 kilos yeah so um I was about 95 kilos, so I wasn't actually too far off where I wanted to be. You know, 94, 93 kilos would have been my, uh, my target. Mm. Even then, in the world of cycling, you know, 90 plus kilos is still really heavy. Yeah, you know? wow. So, I think that was just, that, that was happening actually more naturally just from exercising way more, you know, doing you know, six days a week cycling. Mm. You're not actually going to have a high calorie expenditure in your and because I did want to drop some unwanted body fat, it mm. was coming down. Mm. Mm. But my main focus for it was not to get too lean, um, as that was part of the whole the whole base of the story. So yeah. we getting down to shredded eighty nine kilos no. or something, and and becoming essentially a, a cyclist. Yeah. Um, just to kind of combat that stereotype. And on, and on an ideal week, how do you split your time? Because obviously. If people if follow your page, you know you can you can move some weight, mate. So it's like um, if if everything was to slot in place and and you know work and things, everything's organised in the diary. What what how do you do your your strength based sessions compared to some of your endurance based sessions? And when you get on the bike, it's interesting to get that insight into someone like yourself who likes to 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 be strong, but that can also go out for half a day and and ride. Yeah, yeah. So. Um... That kind of, kind of touches on the topic of a concurrent training, really, doesn't it? So combining resistance training with endurance-based training and getting the most out of them. Um, currently, I train six days a week, and I do three aerobic sessions, three resistance-based sessions, all on different dates. But if you don't have the luxury of you know, training six days a week or the wanting to, mm. you might end up having to double up. And in which case, it's prioritizing key sessions and, and how you do that. So. If you're going to do an aerobic-based session, so something that's quite zone two, quite easy, then I do that after your weight session. Mm. I do the weight session first. And if you're going to do a high-intensity session, you obviously have to look at the parameter that, or the, the main goal, and the main goal is probably going to be endurance in this case. So you do the high-intensity um, endurance-based session first, mm. and then do your weights afterwards. Because the weights are always only going to be supplementing uh, and promoting you know, peak power and things like this. For the main focus, which is you know might be bike or, or running, 
Mm. So, so the overall goal is that, and then the other one should just be focused on improving that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just obviously organisation. Then, like you said, it's just putting a few key sessions in certain places and then going from there. So, yeah, no, that makes sense. And, um, hey, when, you, when you're reading, when you're obviously, I know you've got your own research and, and your own client base and challenges and things, but I think maybe have a bit of a takeaway message for people um, to, to, go and, to go and look for other forms of information. Who, who are you into at the moment or what are you into or can you signpost any any books or any sites or any learning i know before we started the show you chucked me on over to um oh, it was a book it was a book on training for alpinism you you obviously got a bit of a bit of a bit of a bookcase over there what um what what can you give a few yeah it's a few key takeaways for people that 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 want to yeah just just read more it doesn't necessarily have to be nutrition and training you know there's this there's a lot out there what who inspires you or what are you reading at the moment yeah yeah i think um, I'm inspired by, from an activity point of people, actually just the people around me um, that I know um, that are challenging themselves, no matter how big it is, you know, if you're looking at a big scale, obviously Ross Edgley is an amazing um, athlete, you know, however many days at sea it was, it was something, something ridiculous to rock, um, swim around in the UK, but even my friends who do 24-hour events um, and just can ride for a con- Continuous 24 hours is, is pretty incredible and it's quite uh, motivating. Mm. Like Chris Hall, um, who's my friend, um, who did that, does that every year at the national 24 hour race, um, TT race. But then, yeah, new alpinism, um, training for the climber or the hiker in the mountains and how to periodize that. I think that was really interesting, especially as I started working with a few climbers. Um, and then I think one of my biggest ones actually is. Flavor Thesaurus, um, if you've ever heard of that one, um, it is essentially like a flavor wheel, and it talks about the different types of flavors there are, um, fruity, forest, um, and, and how they combine with each other, and which ones work well together and which ones don't work well together. Mm. And that's probably one of my favorite books ever from a, a cooking point of view, because obviously, ultimately, you know, we can eat grams of carbohydrate, fat, and protein, and so on, but we eat meals, don't we? And, you know, as you, with all your recipe making, it's about having tasty food. And if you can just understand this flavor goes with that one, makes making dishes really easy. You can mm. kind of just go, okay, yeah, I want, I want to have this meat and this, these veg, but I can combine them together with these flavors now, knowing from, you know, from this book what to do. Mm, mm. That's my favorite books. That's a great one. Yeah, that's a really good one. I'll put and I'll I'll put a link of that into the show notes and things. And yeah, I know you alluded to your Instagram page, but is is there anyone else anywhere else that that you want to let people know where they can find you? And you know, you take are you taking on anyone at the moment, or are you kind of stacked up for the season? What's that? What's the kind of plan around around your coaching and and your and your sports nutrition mentoring? Yeah, so they can also go down to my website, which is willgerling.com. Um, and I do have a few more stuff at the moment, um, so they're more than welcome to come on board. I also have a few other coaches that work with me as well, um, that are all you know, professionals, all have master's degrees in nutrition too, mm. which mm. I'm very lucky to work with a bunch of cool people. Mm. Cool. Um, and then you've got um, you got uh, what what can you what can you tell people about what's coming up, mate? You've got some of your research, and and I know it's not quite. Um, finalised yet, but what, what are you going to be working on in the future outside of your um, sports nutrition consultancy? Uh, so, as 
we mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm planning to do a PhD um, looking into ultra-endurance sports, so multi-day ultra-endurance sport. So currently within literature, ultra-endurance is deemed as four hours, believe it or not. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's not, not exactly that long, especially when you compare it to Ironman, which is already looking at nine to 13 hours-ish. And then really looking into these ultra-endurance events that are multi-days, so Atlantic Ocean Row Race, transcontinental race, uh, which is cycling from Western to Eastern Europe in the fastest time. And then other things like Marathon Sarps, which, you know, um, is a multi-day marathon um, in the desert. And these are all extremes and there's not much research done on these mm. and what the effect is on the body and how can we improve that. And also how can it relate to a lot more information even further down the chain, maybe not specifically for other people doing those events, but normal everyday people looking at maybe doing similar training just on a reduced weekly basis mm. it, it, what would be better for them mm. Mm. No, that's fantastic and that's something that obviously takes a few years but it's um made the power of obviously social media and being able to document what you do and yeah the content that you, that you put out is fantastic and like i said i'll be diving into that that banana bread and um Mate, it's good to yeah, it's 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 good to do this. It's good to get you on the show, and it's nice to start off the the new season with a really um yeah quite a quite a specific podcast around fueling and um yeah, it'd be cool to get you back, mate. As as things unfold with some of the stuff that you're doing in the ultra endurance space, it'd be cool to get a bit of an insight into into what you've started to pick up and 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 how you're um testing and measuring things. It'd be great. Definitely. That'd be great. Um, it's great to be on here as well, actually. We've been talking about it for a while, so yeah. it's nice to finally be on. Um, ah, good, man. But I think I'm, I'm going to be uh, touring around um, the world a little bit on my bike this year uh, in preparation for uh, my world record next next year. So um, hitting some countries and riding about. Cool. So I'll be putting that up as well. Nice. Yeah, well, that's the nature of obviously being able to you know work online a lot of the time. It's fantastic if you can get organised, that kind of thing. You can just you can just take it on the go. Oh mate, good man. Now we'll, yeah, we'll definitely I'll I'll be following your um yeah yeah your challenge and your training closely and um yeah thanks again mate. Everything's gonna be in the show notes, lovely people. And as always, if you're new to the show, just subscribe, share, leave a comment. I think that helps in terms of visibility on on the platforms. I use SoundCloud, I use iTunes, but it's all good. If you've listened to the end, you've you've definitely hopefully grabbed a lot of value. So we'll speak again soon.